This is 20-Minute Health Talk. I'm David Reich-Hale. Over the last three months, Russia's attacks on Ukraine has included more than 200 bombings of medical facilities. The attacks have left doctors, nurses, and other medical staff in desperate need of backup. Today, we speak with two Northwell physicians who have created a program that is offering support to those in need in Ukraine. With us is Dr. Eric Choi Pena, director for Northwell Center for Global Health, and Dr. Jonathan Berkowitz, who heads the Health Systems Transfer Center and Center for Emergency Medicine. Dr. Choi Pena, in March, Northwell established a Ukraine relief fund and it donated 18,000 pounds of medical supplies. Just a few months later, your team is working on a new way to, to offer support to Ukraine. Can you tell us about how this has evolved? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the one of the things that's been pretty amazing about Northwell throughout COVID and then now in the kind of, you know, peri-post-pandemic world um, is uh, is kind of how flexible and adaptable our telehealth services have been um, as, it, as we've dealt with surges in, in ICUs, as we've needed to centralize stroke care, as we've needed to reach people that needed an emergency department but weren't gonna, willing to go to the emergency department and wanted to talk to a, an emergency physician um, uh, you know, remotely. So, you know, when we were thinking about how we could meet the need in Ukraine, uh, you know, I, I, you know, very quickly started to have conversations with Dr. Berkowitz about taking this model that we did very successfully in the New York area and and talk with him about how we could do this, um, you know, for Ukraine in either, you know, a neighboring country, if Ukraine had been in the early days, we thought it was going to be completely overrun by Russia in, in a matter of weeks. And then as the situation seems to have um, stabilized a bit more, uh, you know, you know, setting up in Western Ukraine and on the front lines, uh, trying to help doctors that are working tirelessly around the clock. Specific to Ukraine, then what are the partnerships like and what are the greatest challenges? Yeah, so you know our 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 partnerships are basically with um, either military or civilian hospitals that are working um, in various parts of Ukraine. We we reached out to them through partners, either partners that were um, uh, that were helping supply resupply them, or partners that um, represented institutes of emergency medicine or institutes of trauma surgery that had close ties with the docs in Ukraine. And it really started as a uh, as a Zoom meeting, much like uh, much like this, basically going over um, what um, what they needed and what how telemedicine could be helpful. And it was a lot of listening. John and I did a an enormous amount of listening to kind of what they were seeing, what they thought would be helpful. We threw out some ideas, some guesses as to what we thought might be helpful. But really, it was a dialogue about how can we help support you so that your job is easier while we were looking at what was seemed to be like an impossible task from these kind of frontline docs. And I definitely want to get a little bit more into the specifics of what the doctors are telling you about what's on the ground in Ukraine. But Dr. Berkowitz, since you oversee the Center for Emergency Medicine, what's your role in supporting Northwell's Ukraine initiative? Yeah, so, you know, Eric came and said, you know, I think that there might be an opportunity to utilize telemedicine uh, in a unique way here. Uh, and we've done, we're part of a lot of projects um, from telestroke to our emergency telehealth service, where we're using telemedicine in, in really novel ways. And then the transfer center part of our operation really has access to all of our specialists, because that's the part of our health system that if a doctor in anywhere in the New York metropolitan region says, 
I need someone who's a specialist in this one area, and I want to move this patient to your hospital to get that treatment. That's the team that can can find those specialists and and connect them. And so it was pretty clear to me that um, we have all these these pieces, these blocks, and just by rearranging those blocks and changing some of our workflows, we could stand something up really fast, um, uh, which is what we did within a few weeks um, of, of, of the ask, we had, we were getting our first consoles. Tell us a little bit about the process. Uh, when a request comes in, what happens? So, uh, it goes into, uh, a channel in our call center. Um, it, it actually sends off a little alarm and a siren. Um, but you know, we're EMS, we love sirens. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, one of someone on our team kind of picks it up and makes sure that there, and starts to work on putting together a plan for how we're going to make this consult. Each one comes in sideways in the sense that there's no playbook. Each one comes in and we have to field it and say, okay, how are we going to pull this together? Um, but we have a, you know, a great team of folks who are used to, to getting, you know, unusual requests and kind of finding a ways to get the mission done. In speaking with the medical professionals in Ukraine, what are they telling you? Obviously, we're we're far away, but we're looking at some of the reports and some of the journalism that's coming out of Ukraine. There was a story or a package that was published in the New York Times recently online that highlighted the intensity of war and the struggles they must be facing. Some of these photos were quite powerful. So I've had the privilege of being on pretty much every uh, consult, um, uh, partly to facilitate. Um, and so um, what I'm hearing from them is a lot of anxiety um, um, and they're seeing things that they haven't seen before. Um, frankly, some of these are cases that we necessarily may, may not have seen before. And a lot of this is about phone a friend. We don't spend a lot of the time talking about anything but you know, what they're trying to accomplish at this point in time. They usually have a very specific question, something like, how should I stage this surgery? Which part should I do first? Which part should I do second? Should What, what kind of equipment should I use? Very technical questions um, about a surgical approach um, or a medical approach. Um, how should I manage the symptom? Um, but surrounding it, the, the, the entire uh, episode, the entire discussion is this kind of phone a friend mentality where I always get the sense that the sense that the doctor in Ukraine feels isolated. Um, they don't have another doctor to really talk about these complicated issues, um, and they're really, really relieved at the end of these of these consults to have kind of had the, the opportunity to talk with someone else, go through their thinking, and in many cases, the doctor, you know, on the other side of the line is is right. That they have a great plan, but they're not sure. And they, it, it, it is a, a, a conference to figure out, is this a good idea, um, what, what their treatment plan is. Dr. Troy Pena, anything to add? Yeah, I would, I would just say that, you know, when we were asked to do this and we thought about doing this, you know, this, there, there was no playbook. There was no instruction manual we could put, John pulled off the shelf to say, you know, this is how we support doctors in war. Um, you know, we really had to, one of the reasons why these conversations were so important with the stakeholders in Ukraine was to figure out not only figure out for ourselves how we could be helpful, 
but also to convince them that we could be helpful. Because a lot of times when people hear telemedicine, they hear, you know, virtual urgent care. You know, I have a runny nose and I get a prescription for a decongestant or a UTI med, and that's the end of the consult. They know the majority of public and even doctors in the community don't know the level of sophistication that we are using telemedicine for. You know, we're managing ICU patients remotely um, using telemedicine. And we did that during COVID. And so that, that really, I think, um, opens up the possibilities because, you know, John knows the toolbox. He knows what we have available. Um, and then being able to communicate that to the Ukrainian physicians and say, yeah, we can get you an oral maxillofacial surgeon, you know, within an hour to discuss this case. And that's not a heavy lift for us. That's something that we could do. Um, and another, uh, the other thing I think is understanding the breadth of the system. One of the things that we put together later on was just all of the available services. Cause I think people didn't understand that if they needed, you know, a, um, you know, pediatric nephrologist uh, that we probably had several that were on call that day. You know, we have 78,000 employees that are eager to help Ukraine. And pre-telemedicine, they weren't able to. We can't send 78,000 people to Ukraine, but we can connect 78,000 people to Ukraine through telemedicine and through our efforts. And that's the tremendous power that we're wielding here. And, and that's the, you know, the, I think that's what you know, keeps John and I going is knowing that the potential that this system has to meet needs and fix inequities globally is tremendous. And it's just exciting to be a part of. How have some of these consults gone? I understand one of the earliest calls was done for a facial trauma. Uh, that was fielded by a Northwell surgeon, Dr. Andrew Salama. Can you walk us through how that was handled? Because I think that will give everybody some insight into how this works or how we can support what's happening there. So, you know, the request came in. We have a, a system where they can, um, uh, they can make a request to us without having to call, call it in. I, I'm really proud to say, Eric, and I think you know that we, I think we're on officially version 5.4 of this. When, when I say 5.4, I mean that five times we've completely redone the workflow, and that that in the we're in the fourth minor revision of the fifth new workflow. Um, but um, so the, the the request came in for maxillofacial, and I had known Dr. Salama uh, from the transfer center work um, as a very uh, well accomplished maxillofacial surgeon. Who's done? Who's worked at Walter Reed? Um, who's uh, an excellent communicator and collaborator? Um, and so we were able to connect uh, our, our colleague in Ukraine with Dr. Salama. Um, they transmitted some images, um, and uh, our colleague in, in Ukraine, you know, let us know ahead of time that he would need a translator. So when the time came for the consult, I brought our translator into the into the virtual room with us. Um, and they just started talking about that case. They talked about that case for about 10, 15 minutes. Um, it was really incredible to watch. Uh, my favorite part of that case by far of that consult was when the, the Ukrainian surgeon began to gesture, gesture with, his, with his hands about, about things on his face. And Dr. Salamo said, I don't need an interpreter. I know what he's asking just by his... His, it, it, what, he's, what he's doing with his hands. He's asking about how should I access this part of the body? And because there's a couple of options. Um, and that was to me a very beautiful thing, the language of medicine, um, you know, two specialists communicating without language. Um, and, you know, and the tone softened up um, and that doctor became a lot warmer after that when he realized that there are two, 
you know, two specialists in maxillofacial surgery separated by a war and many miles, but with the same love uh, for doing great work. Um, and they then they talked for, you know, 15, 20 more minutes about other cases, and they've kept on a, a strong relationship. Um, and that, again, goes to that point that I feel some of the biggest support we can give to, to the doctors there is that sense of support, is that there's a doctor here willing to listen to you. You're practicing in a care island. Maybe maybe in these cities, maybe there's a couple of, of maxillofacial surgeons. I bet, I bet a fair amount of these specialists have left, um, especially the Eastern regions. And so having that support uh, on demand, I think is, is, is a huge help. We're encouraging our doctors to build relationships. We want to be there to support the doctors in Ukraine. What does it mean to both of you to be doing this right now? These 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 consults have been some of the most uh, touching moments of my career to witness the connection of these physicians um, and to see um, the gratitude um, on the Ukrainian side for the advice that they're getting, um, and then also uh, our physicians, the Northwell physicians, walk away and are so happy to be able to do something. Um, it also means a lot to, to me because everyone comes back to me and says, I want to connect with them again. I have some other other thoughts. Um, you know, this is just a, a it's just a, it's just a, a beautiful thing. Like, like I said, to have physicians communicating, connecting uh, literally a world apart. I mean, this is really, you know, uh, when people say they go into medicine for the right reasons and go into global health. Th- these are the reasons. Right. This is a this is a way that a network, a health system is is leveraging its complexity and its talent to just do good in the world. And there's really, you know, Ukraine was not on our radar before this. We have three core sites in the Center for Global Health. Ukraine's not one of them. It's not one of the potentials for the next three that we that we list. Um, but it was the right thing to do. COVID-19 certainly changed a lot about how healthcare was delivered. Can you tell us about some of the lessons learned during the pandemic about telehealth? and how they informed what you're now doing in Ukraine. So for, for me, it has, because one of those, I talked about the building blocks that we're using, and one of the programs we built um, in, during the pandemic was our emergency telehealth program. And so that program, a lot of the workflows for that, the infrastructure for that, we literally copied and pasted some of those, those processes to build this program. So we didn't have to start from, from, from page one. You know, we didn't start from the very beginning. We, we took something that we knew worked and was growing and effective, and we had to make a bunch of changes, but it was, it was easily understandable. So all of our agents at the transfer center who are the ones who are kind of managing day-to-day these processes, we just had to kind of say, okay, this is a mashup of our ear on demand program and telestroke and our transfer program. We're going to mash them up in a unique way and create this global telehealth program, and everyone understood it right off the bat. Even so, what are some of the technological uh, struggles that you that you have? So, I mean, the biggest technological struggle I actually think is the navigating the appointment time. It seems really simple, but you have a a, a doctor in Ukraine who is um, who is obviously very busy, has a lot going on. And then we have one of our uh, specialists or even subspecialists, um, and we're trying to find the time that they can both connect. Um, so that's wh- so just navigating that in an easy way has been has been a, a challenge. Um, the other another big challenge is is getting imaging files from them. 
Um, we want our doctors to be able to look at the CAT scans and x-rays. Um, so we worked with our radiology service line um, and Dr. Barris specifically, really helped us to put together a system so we can get the images from there and have our doctor review them and review them before they have a, con a, a consult so that they can really speak about the case in depth. So what's next in the international collaboration when it comes to telemedicine? Where are we headed? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, really, you know, telemedicine uh, has changed global health in ways that I don't think we're ever going to go back. Um, and I think that we can say that a lot about of things about COVID that have changed because of COVID. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. And, um, and you know, the, the model of, of the way we used to interact with international partners, where you'd fly in or you'd fly them up, um, you'd do the train the trainers for a week, and then you set them loose, um, and you kind of hope that they get it and they do okay. Um, I think that's gone. Um, I think there are better ways to do it. I think we're seeing that innovation happening. I mean, we saw it, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. In 2020, we started a nursing leadership program for the country of Guyana, for the for the for essentially all of the nurses in Guyana. We identified 60 nurses that were going to go through this program. And um, and you know, COVID obviously happened early in 2020, and we transitioned to Zoom and used uh, a virtual platform to do the teaching, to do the dashboard discussions, you know, as if we were having multiple meetings in country, which was how it was originally planned, that we were going to have multiple sessions where we'd fly down, have these meetings, fly back. Um, we've been doing that. We've been doing um, telepsychiatry consults in Ecuador and India since 2020, supporting the mental health of a school in southern India and several clinics in Quito, Ecuador. Um, I see that as the start. I see that as something where, you know, we are um, we are helping these low and middle income countries transition into the digital age of health and that we're growing with them, that we are figuring out new ways to provide humanitarian assistance and development work that doesn't necessarily require all of our experts to be in country at the time that we're doing it. Um, and allows us to have follow-up. So instead of it just being a train-the-trainer where you teach someone how to use point-of-care ultrasound, imagine for the next six months if you could look at all their images live while they're doing it and then talk to them on a video screen. I mean, that changes fundamentally how we'll cha train people in low- and middle-income countries that we're partnered with. You have a lot of employees volunteering to help with this program. What's the response been like among Northwell staff? Well, I think one of the things I'll say, John will tell you the specific numbers, but I would add that um, I don't think anyone said no. I mean, right. we've, we've, we've asked we've asked people that aren't haven't stepped up to volunteer and explain the situation. You know, no one has told us, no, I can't do this. I'm sorry. I don't want to help. Right. So there's a, a ton of people who have volunteered. Um, but but anytime, you know, because a, a lot of this is subspecialty based. Anytime I call a subspecialist and say, hey, will you will you help out? The answer is always yes. And a lot of times because of the time difference, my answer is, okay, great, six o'clock tomorrow morning. And the answer is always yes. Okay, six o'clock, where do I show up? So um, I think that that's, that's real telling about our, our, our physician's commitment. You know, we have already, so one of the things I think it's important to mention is that when we donated the funds to Ukraine, 
um, uh, to, to Doctors Without Borders, we gave a matching donation of another $175,000 to Doctors Without Borders to fight, uh, help them with their efforts with wars in places like Yemen, South Sudan, Central African Republic, you know, countries that, you know, have been at war, Syria, that have been at war for years that really haven't made the, the publicity or the headlines that Ukraine has, um, because we feel like that's important to make for Northwell to make a statement saying, look, it's not just Ukrainians that are being displaced by wars right now. There are over 30 active conflicts on earth right now. We we think all of them need support and, and attention. Dr. Troy Pena and Dr. Berkowitz, thanks for sharing insight into this really important program you've developed. And to you, the listener, thanks for tuning in. I'm David Reich-Hale, and this is 20-Minute Health Talk. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20-Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.